You're listening to a podcast by BI Norwegian Business School. There are numerous theories of financial crisis. As we heard in an earlier podcast, this situation reflects how, while numerous books and articles have been written on the nature and causes of financial crisis, very little agreement has been established on why financial bubbles, crashes and crises seem to happen time and time again. In this podcast, we take no stand as to which theory best can explain financial crisis. Indeed, we do not think it is very useful to search for the perfect theory of financial crisis. Instead, we are interested in exploring different theories of financial crisis to investigate their main presuppositions, their main lines of argument, and many conclusions concerning the causes of financial bubbles, crashes, and crises. We also seek to compare and contrast different theories. What role do they assign to the banks? How do they treat the role of money and money creation in the development of a crisis? What about the central bank or the regulatory authorities? What role do they play, if any, in the development and resolution of financial crises? Theories are simplifications of reality. But at the same time, they are necessary tools to grasp reality and to help us understand it. I have, as already indicated, an open-minded approach to theories. As a practicing historian, I have learned the hard way how difficult it is to explain the past. Theories can help us, but very rarely, if ever, not one theory will do. Therefore, I think the most fruitful way to become wiser and to get a better understanding of financial bubbles, crashes and crises is to explore, in an unprejudiced way, different theories of financial crises. My name is Espen Ekberg, I'm a professor of economic history at BI Norwegian Business School, and I'm hosting this podcast on financial bubbles, crashes and crises. In an earlier podcast, we explored a number of different theories quite superficially. In today's podcast, we will try to go a bit deeper, focusing on two different theories of financial crisis. Or I should perhaps say that we are going to explore two general economic theories but focus on their views on financial bubbles and crises. The theories in question are the Austrian School of Economics and monetarism. I must admit uh, that, I, that I am a little bit, kind of, I'm sure if I can say frightened, but I think I can say I'm frightened a little bit to uh, provide a detailed examination of these theories. Uh, at least Austrian economics has for me been almost like a black hole, a theoretical framework of which I have very little knowledge. But luckily then, I have managed to convince one of Norway's leading experts on Austrian economics and also monetarism to help me out in explaining the main lines of arguments in these theories and especially then their views on financial bubbles, crashes and crises. Um, Lars Peter, you are an economist, uh, you are a writer, you are uh, related to the liberal Norwegian think tank Civita and also, and this is quite relevant, I think, you're a member of the quite famous Mont Pelerin Society, an international network of liberal thinkers. Uh, so how did you become so interested in liberal ideas in general and perhaps Austrian theory in, in particular? Well, to start by Austrian theory, and uh, and you are right to, to, to link that somewhat to, to an interest in society and politics and liberal ideas as well. Uh, I would say that, well, being interested in, in Austrian economics came to me as a you know, product of curiosity, uh, particularly about trying to understand 
this mystery of uh, deep uh, business cycles up and down. How can, could the depression occur in the 1930s? And, and, and of course, I was studying in 1976 to 1980, middle of the stagflation crisis. So these were great questions. And I happened also to, at that time, I also happened to, to, to visit the Institute of Economic Affairs in London many times because I have family, incidentally, in, in London. And I, I, I participated in many meetings there, and that was really a, a, uh, a center for uh, coming up with all these new ideas because the, 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 the prevalent and the dominant neoclassical and Keynesian uh, hegemony at the time was really under pressure. There was many, many questions posed, and um, that stimulated certainly to 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 come in more contact and uh, to to really read more and more. Uh, so, so really, uh, what you're saying is is that observing that okay, we have a lot of crisis in in the economy, and uh, it goes up and down. There are cycles. This was one of the things that made you become interested in in this. Thoughts or absolutely, I think, uh, of course, for myself, I must also admit that uh, my interest in society, in politics, and everything is driven by some kind of urgency. I would say to try to understand really how are the society and the economy working, and in order to how can we contribute something to improve it. Yeah, and so that's the whole, I think, rationale for me at least. And, and what then about the monetarist theories? Uh, were these, your interest in these theories, uh, you know, did they come at the same time? Or Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you couldn't hardly, you, you had, in 1974, you had the Nobel Prize to Friedrich Hayek. Uh, 76, you had the Nobel Prize for, mm. <laughs> to Milton Friedman. And this was when and, you studied, and, huh? and, and absolutely. Mm. And of mm. course, uh, monetarism was somewhat integrated into the textbooks at the time, actually. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but Austrian theory, not at all. And uh, my puzzle, and what I think that really geared up my interest in Austrian theory specifically, was that I had this sense that many of the traditional dominant theories and explanations, they didn't actually hold. I mean, in the stagflation crisis, there were so many questions. And I, I felt when I was studying at the Wiesn School of Economics in Bergen at the time that they were not convincing at all in order to explain the basic mechanism that could actually produce a situation that was actually uh, went into a crisis. Okay, right? so so that that's, let's uh, talk a little bit about the, that. Uh, so the way I read Austrian theory, it's it's in a way a general economic theory, but it's it's quite fragmented. Uh, 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 maybe you could say it's a group of theories. Uh, would you say that, or is it is it coherent? <laughs> well, um, I, I would say that uh, the Austrian Austrian economics, the Austrian school, um, it used to be a very coherent and uh, a com- almost a complete competing system of theories from Karl Menger mm. uh, in the late 19th century. And definitely with Ludwig von Mises, I, his book from 1948, Nine worked on it for ten years, mm-hmm. called Human Action: A Treatise on Economics, is certainly a a a, a complete the, mo- the most general theory of economic thinking I can think of, mm-hmm. <laughs> coming very close to to textbooks uh, in, in 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 that scope and sense. So so, but I think you're right that 
I think the Austrian economics uh, thinking is today a very marginalized, mm -hmm. uh, a very marginalized, small uh, and uh, narrow, uh, uh, narrow school, and mostly known for uh, theory of entrepreneurship, understanding markets basically as processes, market process, not equilibrium, mm -hmm. very anti-neoclassical mm -hmm. equilibrium theories, and they're very stressing the entrepreneurial side of markets and therefore also incentives and institutions that are uh, framing all market settings. And certainly um, from the very beginning, it was a value theory that was uh, so the subjective value theory, which is very uh, harmonious with the, the another discipline close mm -hmm. to economics mm. called marketing, actually. Yeah. So that's very fascinating. Uh, and... Um, um, uh, and, and this subjective subjectivism, realizing that markets are always processes under complete uncertain, uh, uncertainty into the future, uh, it creates another quite different setting from, from the traditional neoclassical general equilibrium, everything is certain, everything is known, adaptive responses. So you, I, would, I sometimes say that the difference between... Austrian economics and many other kinds of neoclassical uh, thinking is that Austrians recognize that there are two kinds of economic actions, not only adaptive actions, mm -hmm. but also creative actions mm -hmm. that changes things, mm -hmm. creates new, new facts. And uh, whereas neoclassical economics, general equilibrium theory, is only adaptive behavior. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is... That is, that is uh, Big difficulty, I think, with neoclassicalism uh, that Austrianism has a lot to, to contribute to. My, my next and of course, uh, yeah, the, 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 the business cycle theory uh, is coming out of this setting. Yeah. And this was my next question, because does Austrian theory have a specific theory of price bubbles and subsequent financial crisis? Or is this related? I guess this is obviously closely related to their business cycle theory. So Yes, well, I would say... Ludwig von Mises, who is the core economist, he wrote a famous book in 1912 called The Theory of Money and Credit. It, that was the starting point of the Austrian uh, business cycle theory. And they were more concerned with business cycles and, 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 the, uh, and, and the extremes ups and downs than bubbles in the speculative sense, mm -hmm. if you, if you yeah. like the Minsky sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Mises wasn't so much, uh, he was very close to understanding and really uh, how, how, how the financial and banking system in Austria was working, but, but they were really more into the fundamentals mm -hmm. to understand the, the, the great forces that, that can explain sharp and artificial uh, booms that somehow produces imbalances that are bound to lead to some kind of a crisis that easily triggered by, but by, by typically financial, financial, uh, financial uh, situation. So, so um, Austrian uh, Austrian theory is more in terms of business cycles, more about business cycles as such, and understand uh, than the specifics of financial instability in mm -hmm. the Minsky sense. Mm -hmm. But they come together, I think, in a very interesting way. Yeah. Uh, my, when I talk to, to my students about different theories, uh, I, 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 um, 
ask them if they could think about, you know, separating different theories. You could ask, okay, so who is to blame for a financial crisis? And in different theories, they put the blame on different actors. So you could have irrationality or you could have uh, uh, the central bank or other uh, institutions or, or um, ways of thinking that you could you would uh, say are to blame for financial crisis. So, so I guess, is it possible to, to, to say some, uh, you answer this question from an Austrian perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. And what would the <laughs> answer be? <laughs> oh, the main driver is no question about it. It's, mm. it's, uh, it's a mon on the monetary side. Mm -hmm. It's uh, credit expansion. Mm. And uh, particularly extraordinary period of credit expansion and monetary mm. policy being mm. mostly responsible for it, but not only. And that I think many uh, skip that point because reading Mises very closely, one certainly sees that he has a keen understanding that the banking system as such has in certain institutional settings a capacity to create inflation by itself. Yeah, because the banks create the credit by you know, lending out. Absolutely. And the fractional reserve fractional banking. Reserve. Mm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, that, and, that, and the regime uh, uh, that, that makes the framework for the banking industry is therefore very important. Absolutely. And, and that, that is, in our sense these days, we would think about financial regulation mm. coming as a complement to, 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 to monetary policy in a narrow sense. So, so if uh, you ask an Austrian very simple this question, then so who is to blame? He would, he would or she would say, well, the central bank and the, who is responsible for monetary policy and, and the banks itself would be you know, the two villains here. Or the typical one, the typical one would be monetary policy and the institutional setting around the okay, banking and okay. financial industry as mm -hmm. such. Um, but looking closely at the most important thinkers who have mm. been the Austrian thinkers, mm -hmm. Mises, of course, and Hayek later on, who mm -hmm. built on Mises, mm. um, when when they were analyzing specific uh, depressions or recessions, they've certainly took a more historical uh, approach and looking into what are the specifics of this particular kind of mm. uh, recession and depression as well. Okay, but then what, uh, what is the view of, of Austrian on, of the central bank as an institution? Well, um, um, is there one view on that in Austrian economics or is there not? Uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure, but... Uh, that if you take the Misesian and, 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 and the Hayekian uh, approach to it and how, what they ended up with, what Mises was a great defender of the gold standard mm -hmm. as the ultimate institutional uh, anchor of stability in the monetary system. Uh, he was a very old generation, so he, he didn't li live through this, uh, what we have experienced during the last 50, 60 years. Uh, Hayek, uh, Hayek, uh, certainly uh, was um, for a long time uh, uh, looking for better ways to, to better rules uh, to, 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 to frame in the, the operations of the central bank, mm -hmm. uh, but eventually ended up with a most radical proposal that anyone has seen in 1976 and actually proposing that one should denationalize money as such to go to a free banking environment where the mo money would in itself be a competitive business. 
Yeah, so get, and, and then, of course, uh, that uh, is a very radical approach and has not mm. been accepted by, by many I yeah. know. And so and basically get rid of the central bank? Or? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm. So, yeah. that, so, so do you find a strand in Austrian thinking, which is following up on this, this is quite extreme and quite seems to be quite unlandish and out of reality you know, for, for someone mm. or most people. And uh, so they are looking for, the, they, they, ha, they don't even, they have a tendency not to trust the central bank to be that anchor of institutionalizing the monetary, the, the, the monetary framework of the economy and, uh, and also the financials. But, but my view is today, I'm basing my own thinking very much upon Austrian basic understandings. I think the basic the basic view I, I, I would take from an Austrian understanding of how the economy works is actually to work much harder for a framework for the uh, central bank, monetary rules, uh, and and uh, in in combination with. Uh, with productive financial regulations that mm-hmm. in combination stabilize the economy on the macro level. So that there is a need for a central bank and there is a need for regulatory authorities, but to improve how they work, basically. Yeah. Abs- if you ask mm. me, yeah, yeah, I- I'm yeah. not at all uh, in doubt mm. that that is the way to, to yeah. go about it in a realistic way. Mm. And of course, so you will typically see that... Um, I said initially, I said when we started that it's a very narrow school, mm-hmm. but interestingly, mm. um, a combination of Austrian thinking and institutional economics mm-hmm. is one of the most fruitful uh, combinations that one can see, and you see it particularly in the order liberal uh, German tradition from Walter Eucken and and uh, uh, and many others, uh, Wilhelm Röpke. Uh, writing very um, that, that see this combination that I was hinting at now in in a much more productive uh, as a more productive combination mm-hmm. and realistic one. Yeah. Uh, so so but any uh, so but anyway we, we in in at least you say in a radical interpretation but still um, in some um, developments of Austrian theory this central bank has has really been you know pushed to the side in some way. But what what then about banks? What are the role of banks in in this um, well, framework? Uh, the the role of banks and banking is the central vehicle, transmitting the signals that, I mean, in 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 the Austrian theory, it is credit expansion that is working, um, uh, create which is not working neutrally into the economy, but actually changing the relative prices and the structure of the economy, and that's why there is a build-up of imbalances in the economy, which is making the economy very... Um, um, uh, uh, it can be triggered by... This, these imbalances will, will be triggered some, at, some, at some point. And uh, if, not, if you're not continuing with credit expansion and inflation all the time, which is very difficult to do. Uh, so, so um, And the banking system is the mediator, uh, yeah. produce, uh, spreading the monetary uh, impulses all, but, around the, all around the economy. So but, that the, it's a very central role. But, but uh, if this, uh, uh, these banks are then, you know, the, 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 the institutions that are spreading uh, imbalances, uh, uh, how can you avoid it? Or is it a goal to avoid it? Or? Well, 
The basic mechanism is, of course, the interest rate. Mm -hmm. A very loose monetary policy and a credit expansionary policy is attached to a, a artificially low interest rate uh, policy over time. And that uh, expands and makes a boom in all capital-intensive lines of business. Mm -hmm. And you would typically see in, in, in uh, securities, uh, shares, financial instruments, properties, which are very capital intensive, you will you, you 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 always see. I think in most expansionary phases of the business cycle, that the uh, low interest rate policy will expand those those uh, lines of businesses to unsustainable levels. It's happened many many times. It really happened in the Great Depression in the 1930s, uh, coming up there, and it's also happened I think in the Norwegian banking crisis in in the late. Uh, well, it uh, was triggered in beginning of the 1990s, but building up during the the, the 80s. Okay, so but then then uh, let's move on then to um, to, to monetarism. Uh, so uh, because you have also been interested in in that line of, of of thinking, and what would you say are the biggest differences between this Austrian school and the monetarists uh, in terms of understanding, you know, financial crisis or bubbles? Quite a lot. Quite a lot. So Quite. where do we start? <laughs> well, I think we should start with one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you will typically find that Austrian theory is most productive in its focus on explaining how an unsustainable boom is created, mm -hmm. which is the problem. An mm -hmm. artificially stimulated boom by loose monetary policy and, and low interest rates and credit expansion. Um, but then you will see that Aust Austrian theory uh, have the main focus on explaining how this situation can be produced. But they don't have so much uh, to say that once you are in the crisis, mm -hmm. what you do to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And there you see the monetary theory of Milton Friedman, and I think really think it started with Irving Fisher, uh, the quantity theory of money. Uh, but uh, Milton Friedman starts at the same time point in the business cycle is Keynes. Keynes had nothing to say before the, crisis, before the crisis occurred. But once you are in the crisis, he asked, what do we do to get out of it? And that's exactly what Milton Friedman did as well. So he, monetarism and Friedman-esque monetarism doesn't really, in my view, explain very much of how the problem is produced. But it is an answer, an alternative answer to the Keynesian uh, answer of how to get out of it. Once it has been, once there is a crisis and a depression or a recession, but Friedman did try. But, um, oh, but of course, his 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 main his main reply, and of course, maybe you're hinting at that, yeah. is that um, monetary stability is very crucial. And his analysis of the American Depression, of course, is that uh, blaming the, the Federal Reserve for allowing. The, the money supply to contract uh, drastically and therefore create a very uh, uh, self-propelling uh, neg negative, uh, uh, negative development in, 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 the, in the real economy. Mm -hmm. so, so his answer is to keep up the money supply, keep, keep the, the basic monetary aggregates stable over time and you will avoid the worst crisis and, 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 and solve and solve the crisis once it's there. Whereas Keynes would easily say that 
fiscal policy is the main mm-hmm. vehicle to to get out of a crisis. Mm. Friedman would say it's the monetary side. And but um, but I don't know if I really get the differences here because uh, uh, so uh, looking at Friedman's explanation of of uh, the Great Depression. Uh, he, he, you know, he points his finger to the Federal Reserve. Your monetary policy was stupid, and you did not provide lender of last resort functions when the banks uh, experienced problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, how how would uh, an Austrian then explain the Great Depression? Would, wouldn't it would it be the same problem or no? Um, perhaps it's better to take it the other way around. You see, monetarism. Um, is a macroeconomic school, sure. thinking in terms of mm-hmm. macroeconomic aggregates, mm-hmm. and has this tendency to see that money has a neutral, neutral uh, effect on relative prices, mm-hmm. whereas the Austrian view is the opposite. They think that is illusionary and does not comply with reality because they would say you have to see how the new money is introduced into the economy. And how that is step by step uh, influencing relative prices. Whereas Friedman operates in aggregates like the total money supply, the consumer price level, and of course unemployment. And 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 uh, he he, like Irving Fisher, has this tendency to see that money is basically neutral in the relative price sense and the structural sense. But but still influencing, of course, the, the level of economic activity. Mm-hmm. But so so you could say that also. So difference. Um, they go in more into detail to how this is produces problems. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. I don't think Friedman does it at all, and that I, I think it's totally unsatisfactory with Friedman's thinking, is that he doesn't give any kind, in my view, um, convincing explanation of how 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 vulnerable macroeconomic situations are created by, uh, among others, monetary, monetary influences. Mm-hmm. That is the great lack. But it, so um, they are different, very different. Okay, so then, then uh, that's good. I, I like different theories <laughs> that are different uh, I, because then you normally you can, in one historical case, they work well and in others they perhaps don't work so well. So... So let's go on and then talk about some actual crisis. So we have talked a little bit about the Great Depression. Um, uh, it's interesting, of course, to talk about the more recent crisis, the 2008 crisis. And uh, uh, would it po- be possible to make an Austrian explanation of the 2008 crisis? I think I think it's possible to say that um, some Austrian insights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's hear them. Are productive. Yeah. In in order to try to understand actually what's happening with the Norwegian banking crisis, mm. of course you know that the um, all crises and periods of history they have their own unique individual <laughs> setup, sure. and and uh, that that's always the case. In the Norwegian case, you, uh, you've been talking now on the Norwegian, yeah. yeah okay. or, or whatever I was, you I like. was thinking about two thousand eight. We can do the Norwegian. Oh, two thousand eight. Let's yeah. take two thousand eight. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, in two, the, the financial crisis two thousand and eight, I think you had the the epicenter was of course the United States, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there you had a situation where you had a heavy uh, monetary expansion and credit expansion. Driven by many, many, from many sources, you have a current account deficits and a very 
very high uh, current account surpluses from countries like China and the oil producing countries, which were shuffling money into the the American financial market. Uh, on top of that, you had a Federal Reserve policy that was for many, many years been working on a very loose policy, the, 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 green man, the, the, the Greenspan put and all that, mm -hmm. uh, with very low interest rates for a very, very long time, and, um, and uh, which creates incentives to, to, to look for more risky, high-yield uh, investments. And I think uh, Wall Street was supplied with so much liquidity, so much easy money, and this money was mm, had to find its way around somewhere, and it was really working into more and more risky, risky areas. And then you had the innovation, if you will, with the subprime, um, subprime uh, mortgage market, which at the same time. And you had a new financial theory coming out of Chicago, which basically said that, you know, uh, if you can distribute risk and parcel it in small pieces and spread it around, it will actually be not risky at all. And, and no system risk. You can just mechanically uh, uh, let it more or less disappear. And, 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 and I think that, that those kind of ways of thinking within the financial industry was very, uh, <laughs> did uh, speed up this innovation with subprime and the way that people could sell mortgages but not, not, not to have the risk of, of loss, but selling it to the, next, to, the, to the banking industry. And the banking industry could parse it up in pieces and selling it in the wholesale banking market and with insurance premiums and so on that would make it the packages would sold over the counter Mm. between the banks so and nothing to do with the real economy that didn't touch it uh, and so you had a phenomenal period of extreme financial industry expansion uh, but would you say that the, and, the and, and the building up of risk yeah and the, but the, the uh, this is of course uh, all of this is of course important to understand this crisis uh, but i want you know is is there a specific austrian uh, is this a this is not a specific Austrian view, is it, or is well the Austrian insight in that is of is course the Austrian insight in that is very specifically this one. It's the credit expansion yeah, sure. and the causes of that credit expansion, mm -hmm. which is the great uh, central Austrian issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, w I would say, in defence of the Austrian approach to understand uh, crisis and 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 and, and booms and busts and trade cycles that um, Austrian economics can, uh, theory can only be used within the institutional setting. You have to understand how is this sitting, setting in this and that crisis at this and that time? What is the characteristics of it? And there are always many, many forces working together to produce a crisis. Mm -hmm. But what is important, I think, when we're talking about Austrian economics and Austrian theory, mm -hmm. is that you will very, very often find, and certainly the IMF and the OECD has found it out, mm -hmm. that all very serious crises or recessions and depressions, they are typically initiated by a financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And the, fin the finance and money is playing such an active role, and I think it's quite significant that the chief economist of the Bank of International Settlements, William White, before the, the financial crisis uh, uh, was a fact, uh, 
very much wa- he warned about these imbalances building up and this artificial uh, expansion in capital-intensive uh, areas of, of the economy, particularly in the United States, but also in England, um, uh, and, and, and pointed out that we macroeconomics is on the wrong track. Uh, and we should, and uh, he pointed out people like Hayek, uh, the Austrian mm, thinker, yeah, yeah, sure. and also Minsky. Mm-hmm. Not an Austrian, but uh, still. <laughs> no, not no. an Austrian, mm-hmm. but with a theory mm. of financial uh, 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 instability f- that, that, that are, are given uh, or uh, are influenced by the Austrian, Austrian credit expansion theory. And they together, I think, produce a very good basic inf- explanation yeah, I, I, I all was, the forces uh, behind it. Yeah, I was a little bit excited. I'd read some <laughs> of the things you you have you have been writing about, and then uh, I had haven't seen this combination of Austrian theory and Minsky before, and so it, I found it really, really really interesting. And we will talk about Minsky later in the later podcast, and uh, I think that will be quite interesting now because now you can see there are some links here. So. Yes, I think you started to think this uh, when you started to talk uh, that. Uh, Realistically, one should be open-minded with different kind of theories. They can have different kinds of explanatory powers in different kinds of situations. And uh, I want to also, I think, I, it, it's uh, I think it's natural to to, to mention this that uh, Mies, Ludwig von Mises, who is the originator of the Austrian theory of the trade cycle and business cycle. Uh, he, his his initial work, he was very humble. He was not sure if he had come up with you know the major force that can explain the the serious recessions and and depressions. But so he was open on that <laughs> initially and holding the door open for other explanations as well. And I think that initial thinking of Mises actually from 1912 is still very still very good. It, it holds very good, and, and it's a realistic way to go about it. And I guess then if we, if we do, as we started uh, talking about the Norwegian banking crisis, and hmm. of course it was, uh, perhaps people think that this was just a small crisis, but it was not. It was you know, it was also in other Nordic countries, it, it led to a government takeover of the three no- largest Norwegian commercial banks, and so it was a major crisis. It was a major housing bubble, uh, following this crisis as well, uh, and I guess again you would say credit here is uh, is, an, in, is a is a is a key word. Absolutely. Now, I, I have looked into it some years ago now, but um, it is a fact that in 1985, 1986, 1987, you had credit expansion in Norway in the neighborhood of between 25 and 30 percent a year. It doesn't take too much to understand that that is a very abnormal level. Uh, and, uh, of course, it, it happened in a very special situation. The banking industry was gradually, from the beginning of the 1980s, uh, liberalized. Uh, um, lend, lending limits and so on were lifted. And you had um, and, and, and the pricing, of, pricing of loans, interest rates and so on was liberalized. And and uh, the tax system was not was not changed at the same time. So you have 
the incentives for the public to take up loans, and it's in a situation where quite a lot of inflation as well going on, um, and high marginal taxes, uh, much higher than today, uh, all pointed to a very strong incentive to take up loans. And of course, the banking industries is naturally geared into the housing and the property market as the securitized lending uh, market as such. So there you had a phenomenal uh, expansion <laughs> during this time, uh, uh, which was... Uh, uh, so the, the, the credit expansion thing in this uh, force that created some imbalances that became quite obvious in late 1980s and 1990, so before the banks really had had had, had problem, and of course it was triggered by eventually the central bank uh, pushing up the 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 its, its steering rate. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, during the, the expansion, there was a lot of discussion in Norway. Shouldn't the Norwegian, the, the, the central bank's uh, uh, um, lending rate to the banks be 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 increased and and uh, so 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 but the, but there was a po- the policy was to try to keep down the interest rate growth and not let the markets stare that to a higher level uh, and that was really an oversteering I think by the financial um, uh, department of finance over the central bank in in that period uh, which. Uh, Exacerbated these the, the the these incentives to to expand credit very very much, and and, and eventually when they turned turned around in the central bank and thought they have to we have to to be more restricted we have to increase and restrict the the, the lending then you you easily have the 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 the, uh, the 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 effect that you losses are occurring and uh, and uh, and the problem started to to, to roll out. Mm-hmm. So, so of course, again, uh, the, this focus here is on, on the level of credit expansion. Huh? So myself being a, a business historian, I, I just uh, wrote a book about the biggest of these banks who, who were, had to be taken over by, by the government. And uh, I would say that there was a lot of bad banking here as well. And so this credit, did it have to lead to a banking crisis? Uh, there was uh, the risk assessment of the banks where, yeah, you know, not very uh, uh, well uh, executed. So, so, but what would um, uh, the Austrians say to that, or for that matter, the monetarists? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just blame the the actual credit expansion, or do you have to look into the actual institutions and see what they were doing, or did they just do what you would expect them to do? I don't think there's. I'm not sure there is a monetarist or an Austrian mm. answer to that. Actually. No. no. Um, but you are perfectly right. I mean, this is illustrating the lending practices. Okay, so so when we talk about this crisis, uh, we are again back to this credit expansion as a as a driver. Uh, but when you uh, when you look into the institution, so I I have I'm a business historian. I, I just uh, actually wrote this book about this one, the biggest of these banks, who the NB, who had to be taken over by by the government, and clearly there was a credit expansion, but there was a lot of bad banking as well. And so, so these banks were were um, were responding to this credit expansion in well, you could in aftermath you would say in stupid ways, but but uh, well, at least their risk assessment and all these things were were below par to say the least. So, so, so what would the Austrian or monetarist Ratman say to you know the the importance of understanding also you know the actual institutions and how they work? 
in order to understand the financial crisis? Can they just point to the credit expansion? Uh, are these banks just uh, uh, responding to this credit expansion? Well, it's a very good question, of course. And, and, uh, and uh, I, I think there may not be a pure Austrian or a pure Montreist answer to that. But of course, looking at the, the, the Norwegian history here uh, or, or the, the banking crisis, um, obviously, this is the banking practices called ba bad banking. Mm -hmm. It was not only bad policy, it was bad banking. And mm. so I would say it's also bad luck in, yeah, the, sure. you know, in all this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Three bads. Yeah. But, but of course, here, this is all happening in the transition from one regulatory regime to another one. And, and from a regulated, very regulated, tightly regulated banking to a more liberalized banking regime. And, um, and I think we should also remember one thing, considering um, the framework for a lot of bad banking happening. Uh, and that is that the regulatory financial regulations as such, a new kind of financial regulations should have taken its place from the old one. But it did not happen at, uh, as, as quickly as, as it should. And therefore, I think all these forces together, the lack of appropriate proper financial regulation in a new environment, a new market-oriented environment, combined with a very loose monetary policy and a very high tax-incentivized demand, extraordinary demand for loans that was easily uh, accommodated by bankers who were very happy to sell and to grow at the time and to merge as well. And that was a very special optimistic aura around the banking industry. So this is a typical example, I think, of different forces coming together, producing unique uh, uh, constellation of, of outcomes uh, that were not uh, not optimal at all. No, and, and and all the things you mentioned here, you could in, in a way say that this banking crisis was overdetermined. It's it was so many things that pointed in in this direction. Uh, as you said, the financial regulatory authorities were really from eighty five and up until ninety two, ninety three, they were not operative uh, in in the ways that we they are today, and so. So this was obviously um, an important part, part as well. So I, I think we have to to start end soon. But I, this this uh, this uh, focus on regulation, uh, I have this question here. What what would be the Austrians? Uh, perhaps you already said so. But what would be an Austrian you know view of financial regulation and supervision? Once again, I think there is no <laughs> official or any no. kind of. Uh, majority Austrian view on that. I think it's it's really a very open question uh, because the Austrian thinking today is such a marginalized uh, school. Uh, so I think I would have to answer myself from my understanding. Sure, sure, go uh, on. And, and I think uh, a, a productive uh, approach to that based on basic Austrian understanding, so market processes, uh, and, and policy and, and, and money and, and, and credit's role in the business cycle is to appreciate that a framework for monetary stability in today's world, in today's world, mm -hmm. uh, needs a, an appropriate combination of stabilizing monetary policy in the narrow sense 
and attached to a, a macroprudential financial uh, regula regulatory regime working in, 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 in common with, with the monetary policy to create a, in the financialized world we are today, I mean, the, the, the way finance works and the framework for, for controlling uh, over, uh, over uh, too much risk-taking and leverage and so on are extremely important uh, factors. And they have to be to, 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 to work together. And um, so, so I think that, that's, that's a great point of learning. Mm -hmm. And I think Mervyn King in his last book uh, about the, um, uh, the, the um, end of alchemy, uh, the former, for, former director of the Bank of England, his big learning out of this comes out that we need in a very highly leveraged financial uh, world, we need to put much more stress on making banks much more financially secure and have much more own capital uh, uh, to, to withstand losses that, that, that was allowed to happen before, particularly the, the, the financial crisis, which was a horrible uh, episode where banks could do, they could have own capital down to the level of, well, Northern Rock had 2%. Yeah, That's true. absolutely crazy. Yeah, and we, we heard actually an earlier podcast from a, a banker from DNB, uh, and he talked about how uh, this bank has developed its capital uh, levels since the banking crisis of the early 1990s and up until today. And I think it, it's fair to say that uh, at least Norwegian banks today seem fairly well capitalized. Uh, uh, and uh, his assessment was that, uh, okay, they learned a lot from this crisis in the early 90s. And so uh, he was quite you know optimistic. He was. He had been doing this himself, so of course he was optimistic. But, but uh, I, I agree um, that uh, this is, a, is an important po point. Uh, uh, securing the financial system. With the... Okay, I think we're. I think we're done. To, uh, I think we learned a lot. I learned a lot uh, about Austrian theory and uh, especially about Austrian theory. I think it's. Uh, it has been interesting talk. Uh, thank you for coming, and um, um, bye for now. This is a BI production. Listen to more podcasts. Go to bi.no slash podcasts.